Today's podcast is brought to you by cats. Cats. They're just mean. Cats. They're wonderful to pet, and they're very cute, and they'll eat your face when you die. Cats. The only animal that demands our attention, but chooses when it will accept what we give it. No, maybe that's not true. I don't know. Cats Cats can be good. I had cats. I like cats. Cats are, uh, cats are wonderful, but they're not the best. That's, that's, that's basically it. They're wonderful, but they're not the best. I think dogs are the best. They, uh, they most mimic, mimic human, uh, emotive qualities. They, you know, they've been around us a long fucking time, domesticated by us. Their brains are happy when they make us happy and we're happy. Um, and that's what makes dogs fucking cool. Cats could, cats are just gangsters. They're walking around, not giving a fuck, wanting at all moments to be like pouncing on a little bird or, you know, just hurting a mouse enough so it squirms on the floor so they can play with it and torture it slowly to death. Yeah, cats. They're cute. Meow. Um, welcome everybody to the podcast. I'm back again and I'm doing it. I'm early. I'm on Saturday. I spent today we drove uh over eighty miles in town taking loads of stuff to our our new place. Uh moved a lot of stuff. It was fun. Uh and by fun I mean hard and caring a lot. And uh having a house with a basement <laughs> means steps, stairs, a staircase, little handrail, uh, and ducking to go in a base. Oh, for me, um, lots of trips up and down some stairs today, everybody. Ooh, ooh, my little glutes. Ooh, they're just, they're like, hey, hey, we did a little bit today. I'm like, yeah, you did. You know, we have conversations. We're friends, me and my glutes. Um, Man, today's a, a cool day. Got a lot of stuff moving, a lot of cool stuff happening today. UFC fights are tonight. John Jones, Cyril Gaon, uh for the main event, the co-main event. Uh, I'm stoked for this fight, too. Valentina Shevchenko versus Alexa Grasso. Alexa Grasso, however you pronounce her name. Uh, that's going to be a great fight. Uh, oh, man, yeah. Undercard's going on right now. The prelims, I'm watching that. Um, it's going on in the background here. You can't hear it, but I'm watching it. Uh, Marc-Andre Barriot just beat Julian Marquez. Um, the stoppage probably should have happened earlier. It was in the second round. Uh, when his mouthpiece came out, I knew he was done, but he just took a beating for another minute after that, 45 seconds after that. But it was a great fight, man. Um, the Arnold Classic bodybuilding shows today as well. The whole Arnold Com- Classic competitions today, but uh, yesterday and today, this weekend, bodybuilding today. I'm super stoked to find out about it. Really surprising results. Uh, shout out to Ramon Dino for winning the Classic Physique. Uh, you deserved it. You look great. Urs Kalzinski uh, pushed you for your money, but man, Ramon Dino looked amazing on stage. Uh, and then for the Open Class Olympia, uh, they had pre-judging yesterday. Um, your top three were guessing after pre-judging, and this isn't in order, but I would imagine Nick Walker's in first place. Uh, Andrew Jacked. It's it's Nick Walker, Andrew Jacked, Obieki, or however you pronounce his last name, and then um, Samson Dowda are your top three. Uh, fighting for fourth and fifth is probably Big Rom Big Rami, uh, and. Um, oh God, the 212 guy, what's his name? Um, oh shit, my brain fart. I'm not looking at it right now. I'm just off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, no, they all look great. Andrew Jack looked really good. Um, Samson Dowdle looked amazing too. Nick is just a monster, man. Nick Walker's a monster. And, uh, he put out a really impressive showcase. His where he really killed it. I mean, he, he, he's big, he's a mass monster. Um, some people don't like his physique cause he has really wide hips. 
and it doesn't really give that like big V taper look, even though he's massive. His back is great. His bicep peaks are awesome. His arms are pretty fucking big. Um, but man, his, his legs are great, but his back, the back of his legs, his hamstrings, his glutes, um, that is just, it, it, it is amazing conditioning that dude pulls in on the back of his legs. Um, but then you have someone with a really, really good physique like Samson Dowda who has that big V taper, almost X frame, you know, super small waist for open class. He's just as big. I mean, he may be the biggest guy on stage. He's probably like 280 pounds or something. He's tall. Um, you know, the weird thing to look at is when you're watching the guys on stage, um, O'Shawn Clarita was the other guy It just came to me. Um, and he's a 212 bodybuilder. So everybody's you know, Nick Walker's probably 250 pounds, 240, 250 on stage. Andrew Jack's probably 260. Samson Dowda and Big Ramy, and these are the top five, are probably 280, 290 pounds on stage. And then Sean Clarita is like 180, you know, and he looks amazing for 180, but I think he's just too small. He's a very short man, um, much shorter than Nick Walker. And Nick Walker's not tall. You know, if you look at it, uh, Andrew Jack, Samson Dowda, and Big Rami are all towering. They're all over six feet tall. And then Nick Walker's probably 5'8". And then Sean Clarita's like 5'5 five five or 5'4". Five you know, he's very, very short, but packs a lot of muscle on that frame, man. But it's very interesting to watch. Um, I'm kind of hoping, I mean, if if I had to guess just from watching the pre, the, 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 the pre-judging or whatever you call it, the first round of judging, um, the finals are tonight. Um, and it depends, man, if, <clears throat> if Nick gets, a, you know, retains a little water, doesn't dry out anymore. Uh, and Andrew or Samson tighten up even more and get a little drier. Um, they could score better than Nick and then you have a real battle for first place. But I'm, I'm thinking Nick Walker's probably going to win the Arnold again. He won last year, so he'll be a two peat, which is great for him. And he's young. He's, crushing it and he's super good um i'm kind of hoping samson dowda wins uh i i just think his physique looked great uh completeness of his physique is amazing you know nick was better conditioned there's no question you just look at his hamstrings you know he's in better condition but yeah no it was really good i'm stoked for that i'm I'm so stoked for the fight tonight man see watch john jones back it's been three years and i know he's you know, has a sordid history outside of fighting, but the inside the ring, the dude is just, you know, probably the greatest of all time. It's, it's hard to know. It's really, really hard to know. Um, and then, yeah, other than that, just moving, you know, that's taking up a lot of our time. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, I, you know, I was pretty bummed about it, I think, last, epi- last episode. And then this episode, I'm, I'm feeling a little more uh, good about it. We got a bunch of loads over there. Um, you know, feeling a little better about everything. It's uh, It should be pretty good. One second, some coffee. Mm. Um, okay, so <clears throat> for the main topic of today everybody i've i've been saying i want to start a couple new things on this show and uh when i'm solo here not with guests um and i've been kind of debating on what i want to do and what i want to tackle and before i get really into the the uh the, the humanist uh really deep dive into my thoughts on atheism, religion, all that stuff, which is coming. Um, I'm, I've been, I've, I've heard this about this book for quite some time. It's called the war of art by Stephen Pressfield. He wrote the legend of Agar Vance. Um, and he's wrote a lot of other self help books and stuff like that. That's what this book technically is, I guess, but it's talking about, the things that hold us back from creating. It is a book on identifying the term that I know he uses in this book because I've heard it talked about resistance 
and um, moving forward. And I've never read it. And I struggle with resisting myself in creating, resisting in doing the work. Um, and I've I spent a lot of time self-analyzing with that. And I know there's a lot of people out there who have hobbies, who have goals, who have things that they want to do. And um, they find themselves wishing they did more of it and then never going out and doing it because I exist in that, that realm. Um, and I do a lot and I always wish I did more, you know, there's never a moment after I'm done playing Assassin's Creed for four hours or, you know, (laughs) whatever it is that I don't go, man, I could have recorded a podcast in that time or, you know, think of the amount of bass playing I could have got done or uh, whatever it is. And so I want to change some of the patterns in my, in my life, especially with the move and everything being new. And, you know, if I can go in and reestablish a new workspace that's fresh and feels different and still embodies me, but I can start a new pattern in a new room, uh, and try and be much more, you know, simplified, not simplified, but just, uh, streamlined in my process I think I'll be happier and I think it may be a useful tool for a lot of people so I bought it I went out and I bought the war of art and uh I'm gonna read it and I wanted to read it and then I'm like you know maybe maybe other people need to hear it too and they're not readers And so I started thinking about, okay, well, maybe I'll just read the book on the podcast. And what, what I, what I want to accomplish in this, and I'm not going to do it all in this podcast. I'm going to break it down into many, many, many sections and make it digestible for me and for you, because I'm going to, I'm going to go through reading this book like I would read it and digest the information and kind of show not only not only show the book off, but also highlight how my brain works about how I think about this stuff, the, the, the mental steps I go through when I'm intaking information, not that I'm, and and here's what I'm not trying to do. I'm not trying to say that, oh, I'm great at it or, or, uh, one ought learn from me (laughs) in this process. But what I am saying is, is I think that I do it differently than a lot of people. And for good or for bad, I am able to absorb and retain a lot of information. And I fact check it and I analyze it and I will read a sentence four or five times over again for context. And I, I'm, you know, I'm doing this to absorb and alter my patterns of acting in the world in in my in itself so i'm going to start it and it has a foreword the foreword is written by uh robert mckee who is a friend of um oh no what happened oh who's uh i think a friend of stephen pressfield um, oh, okay. So this is, I, okay. I'm just going to read a tiny section of the forward cause it's long. And honestly, when I read books, I never read the forward. Um, I, maybe I should, it oh, is that part of starting something new and doing and doing something new. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Let's, let's, let's begin. No, I'm not going to read the forward. But I, this guy, Robert McKee, is a friend of Stephen Pressfield. The first line of it is, Stephen Pressfield wrote The War of Art for me. He undoubtedly wrote it for you too, but I know he did it expressly for me because I hold Olympic records for procrastination. Man. <laughs> well, 
apparently I haven't gone to the Olympics for it because I bet you anything I can procrastinate to with, with the best of them. Um, so yeah, it's, we're going to start and, and the war of art and here's how it begins. What I do, I get up, take a shower, have breakfast. I read the paper, brush my teeth. If I have phone calls to make, I make them. I've got my coffee now. I put on my lucky work boots and stitch up my lucky laces, or stitch up the lucky laces that my niece Meredith gave me. I head back to my office, crank up the computer. My lucky hooded sweatshirt is draped over the chair with the lucky charm I got from a gypsy in... in see, and this is how I read. The, from the lucky charm I got in Saint-Marie-de-la-Mer for only... I don't know where that is. Oh, it's, it's probably in France. For only eight bucks in francs. And my lucky Largo name tag that came from a dream I once had. I put it on. On my thesaurus is my lucky cannon that my friend Bob Versandi gave me from Morro Castle, Cuba. I point it toward my chair so I can fire inspiration into me. I say my prayer which is the invocation of the muse from Homer's Odyssey, translated by T.E. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia, which my dear mate Paul Rink gave me, which sits nearly, uh, which sits near my shelf with the cufflinks that belong to my father and the lucky acorn from the battlefield of Thermopylae. Okay. Right off the bat, and we still have a little bit in this first paragraph, but what he's describing right now is his process to start work. I can already tell because he's describing all of the things in his room that he does, the order in which he does them to start his work and they're knickknacks and they're trinkets and they're all his lucky thing. If you don't notice and <laughs> he says his prayer, which is an invocation of the muse from Homer's Odyssey. What is the invocation of the muse from Homer's Odyssey? I need to know. And this is what I would do if I was reading this. I have only read half of the first paragraph of the book and I'm already stopping the book to go and look at something. Invocation. Can I spell it? Invocation of the muse. Muse by T.E. Lawrence. Oh, I'm not connected to the internet. It would help if I was connected to the internet. This is I'm going to edit down a lot of the <clears throat> the emptiness in this podcast. I'm already knowing it uh, because I leave when I'm typing or doing something like that. I leave. Um, there it goes. The Odyssey by Homer. Invocation. Okay. The in uh, the invocation ritual is a conscious, focused way of calling up images. Pray to harness the energy of the muses. Direct it inward, such to embody it, and then becomes the vehicle for the story. These are my favorite invocations from the various translations of the Odyssey by Homer. This is the T.E. Lawrence translation. So this is what this is what our author reads: "O divine poesy, goddess daughter of Zeus." Sustain for me this song of various minded men this this song of the various minded man, who after he had plundered the innermost citadel of hollowed Troy, was made to stray grievously about the coasts of men, the sport of their customs, good or bad, while his heart, through all the seafaring, ached in agony to redeem himself, and bring his company safe home. Vain hope for them. For his fellows he strove in vain, their own witlessness, or their own witlessness cast them away, the fools, to destroy for meat, the oxen of the most exalted sun. Wherefore the sun god blotted out the day of their return, make the tale live for us in all its many bearings, O muse. Oh. Okay, here's a 1996. This is a Robert Fagel translation. Let's see what it says. Sing to me of the man, Muse, the man of twists and turns, driven time and again, driven time and again off course. Once he had plundered the hollowed heights of Troy. 
wait, 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 that didn't make sense. Hold on. Sing to me of the man, Muse, the man of twists and turns, driven time and off, time and again off course. Once he had plundered the hallowed heights of Troy. Many cities of men he saw and learned their minds. Many pains he suffered, heart sick on the open sea, fighting to save his life and bring home his comrades. But he could not save them from disaster, hard as he strove. The recklessness of their own ways destroyed them all, the blind fools. They devoured the cattle of the sun, and the sun god blotted out the day of their return. Launch out on his story, muse, daughter of Zeus. Start from where you will. Sing for our time, too. Interesting. Okay. Okay, that's... Ooh, okay, here's a 17... 25 translation from Alexander the Pope. Pope Alexander. 1725. The man for wisdom's various arts renowned, long exercised in woes, O Muse. W O E S, woes. Resound, who, when his arms had wrought the destined fall of sacred Troy and raised her heaven built wall, Wandering from clime to clime, obser observant strayed, their manners noted and their states surveyed, on stormy on stormy seas unnumbered. I love how in the in in English translations everything renowned is R is renown R E N O W N apostrophe D, strayed S T R A Y apostrophe d it's not they don't add an e there they put an apostrophe there i love it their manners noted and their states surveyed on stormy seas unnumbered toiled toil uh, on stormy seas unnumbered toils he bore safe with his friends to gain his natural his natal shore oh they rhymed it vain toils their impiate their their impious their impious folly man they use weird words i am not used to reading this and you guys are like, what the fuck is he saying? He's starting over so many times. I'm not going to finish it because it's too hard to read and I don't care that much. I understand. I understand now the very, the, uh, the, the invocation to the muse. Basically, here's what I'm thinking. This is a call out to the muse. The muse who went everywhere and saw everything and while he was working toward goals like oh hallowing the heights of troy through all of the, his travels he never really finished one of them he watched all of them happen many cities of men he saw and learned their minds many pains he suffered heart sick on the open sea fighting to save his life and bring his comrades home but he could not save them from disaster as hard as he strove. The recklessness of their own ways destroyed them all, the blind fools. They devoured the cattle of the sun, and the sun god blotted out their day, out the day on their return, of their return. Launch out on his story, muse. Their want, yeah. Make the tale live for us in its many bearings, O oh, muse. All right, so they're wanting that you have these stories that are written that are unfinished, or you have these things out there that if only to tell the tale tr fully, you would be getting them home, right? But there's always something that stands in your way, the procrastination, the resistance, and this is the call to the muse to embody you, to take over the thing, to get you in the mindset of being the muse for creation yourself, right? That's, that's what this is. Okay, back to our book. Uh, which my dear Paul Rink, which my dear mate Paul Rink gave me, and which sits, yeah, okay. Battlefield of Thermopylae. It's about 10.30 now. I sit down and plunge in. When I start making typos, I know I'm getting tired. That's four hours or so. I've hit the point of diminishing returns. I wrap up for the day. Copy whatever I've done to disc and stash the disc in the glove compartment of my truck in case there's a fire and I have to run for it. I power down. It's 3.30. The office is closed. How many pages have I produced? I don't care. Are they any good? I don't even think about it. All that matters is I've put in my time and hit it with all I've got. That All that counts is that for this day, for this season, I have overcome 
resistance. Whoa. Okay, he's making, checking all his trinkets. I just have goosebumps, everybody. That literally gave me goosebumps. He's coming in and making the, the ritual, making the trinkets, making doing all of that stuff, putting on the right coat and, and getting into the mood part of the ritual to doing it because that will get him there to do it, right? I love this line. How many pages are, have I produced? I don't care. Are they any good? I don't even think about it. Whoa, I can't help but analyze. As soon as I finished and I hit save, I'm going, okay, is it any good now? That's resistance right there, isn't it? Because if you start worrying, you're never going to get more. Oh, I haven't even read the book yet. And we're here, everybody. We're here. Here. Okay. So that was at the beginning. That was called what I do. Here's what I know. There's a secret that real writers know that wannabe writers don't. And the secret is this. It's not the writing part that's hard. What's hard is sitting down to write. What keeps us from sitting down is resistance. Okay, there's our definition, everybody. Next page, the unlived life. Most of us have two lives. Ooh, this I bet this is going to get real intense right here. Most of us have two lives. The life we live and the unlived life within us. Between the two stands resistance. Have you ever brought home a treadmill and let it gather dust in the attic? Ever quit a diet, a course of yoga, a meditation practice? Have you ever bailed out on a call to embark upon a spiritual practice, dedicate yourself to a humanitarian calling, commit your life to the service of others? Have you ever wanted to be a mother, a doctor, an advocate for the weak and helpless? To run for office, crusade for the planet, campaign for world peace or to preserve the environment? Late at night, have you experienced a vision of the person you might become? The work you could accomplish? The, re- the realized being you were meant to be? Are you a writer who doesn't write? A painter who doesn't paint? An entrepreneur who never starts a venture? Then you know what resistance is. I'm I'm over half of those things. <laughs> it's, then here's a lyric. One night I was laying down. I heard Papa talking to Mama. I heard Papa say, let that boy boogie woogie because it's in him and it's got to come out. That was from John Lee Hooker on probably the song Boogie Chillin', which if you guys haven't listened to John Lee Hooker, thanks to my dad for showing me that shit when I was a kid. Oh, man. Resistance, back to the book. Resistance is the most toxic force on the planet. It is the root of more unhappiness than poverty, disease, and erectile dysfunction. (sighs) To yield to to resistance deforms our spirit. It stuns us and makes us... I have to stop. This is what my brain does. When he, I, I'm sure he's meaning something along the more of the esoteric line of essence or something not like a legit like spirit. I mean, he may be talking about a, a supernatural man, you know, the outer thing that lives before we die and somehow embodies us and is physical and interacts with our physical body, but isn't quite physical. Um, in fact, it's undetectable and there's no proof it exists, but then it lives on surely after we're dead. Um, I don't think he's talking about that type of spirit. Uh, to yield to resistance deforms our spirit. It stunts us and makes us less than we are and were born to be. If you believe in God, and I do, oh, okay, he's talking about spirit. I judge too early. You must declare resistance evil for it prevents us from achieving the life God intended when he endowed each of us with our own unique genius. Genius is a Latin word. The Romans used it to denote an inner spirit, holy and inviolable, which watches over us, guiding us to our calling. Hmm. I wonder... I'm scrolling down more. 
No, no, he only talks about it. But what about if we don't? Then what must we declare resistance, if not evil, if we don't believe? I don't believe that evil is a thing unto itself. I believe that if we, a colloquial term of like something really, 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 really fucking bad, people want to call evils. I'm fine with that colloquial term as someone doing, doing an evil act, you know, but I don't think that there is, well, I don't believe sin in itself is a real thing imposed on us. Um, so if, if we're not, you know, created unbroken and unholy and, and sinners from the get go, because sin can't exist, then we're not made evil people. There's no true one, uh, status to be judged against, to be called evil. You know, if you're going by <laughs> what God says, uh, then there's a lot of truly, truly wonderful human beings that are in immediately evil simply because the word says they are. And uh, that doesn't sound loving to me. So I'm going to go along with the fact that I can also declare resistance, even though I don't believe in God. I can declare resistance really bad because it still prevents you from achieving the life you intended not not the life god intended when he endowed us each with our own unique genius no you must declare resistance evil for it prevents us from achieving the life we intend when we realized our own unique genius when we realized what we want to do in this life, when we set our own purpose, not a pre-given purpose. Because here's the thing, if I was born with a purpose to say, I don't know, anything but a musician and a podcaster and a mechanic, um, <laughs> I'm fucked, right? Uh, Okay. Romans use it to denote an inner spirit, holy and inviolable, which watches over us, guides us to our calling. Wait, 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 wait. So are we, is he saying that in this Romans separated the spirit from us? Like we had our own brains and the spirit was something complete, wasn't us. And it was something else guiding us. And that's, oh, it's weird. See, my brain does this, everybody. When I'm, when I'm talking, when I'm going through and reading stuff, this is literally how I think. A writer writes with his genius. An artist paints with hers. Everyone who creates operates from the sacramental center. It is our soul's seat, the vessel that holds our being in potential, our star's beacon and polaris. Okay, so to take that in a secular term, because I don't disagree. I think he's using flowery language, flowery language that uh, probably... Uh, helps him concretely found it. If if God's right and and all of this is true, then it's obviously grounded in something outside of himself, right? It's it takes away some subjectivity on his part, um, and makes it you know easier to kind of uh, battle with the subjectiveness of this. Which I I personally don't have a problem with choosing what I want to do and acting on it and feeling good about what I chose. And that all being subjective and finding purpose and meaning and, and, you know, well-being in that. I don't have any problem with that. So if I were to say, a writer writes with his genius, an artist paints with hers. Everyone who creates operates from this fundamental center. It is our soul's seat. I would say it is our... Um, like it is our true self, the vessel that holds our being in potential, our star's beacon to Polaris. Yeah, yeah, it is the thing that we ground ourselves in, the thing that we feel most like it, most like ourselves in. Uh, and being that way points us always in the direction we want to head. And I guess fighting that 
the resistance, letting the resistance fight that obviously turns you away from the direction you want to be heading. So he's not wrong. Every sun casts a shadow. A genius's shadow is resistance. So geniuses have suns and the earth has sun, a sun and the sun. Huh? Weird. That's a weird metaphor. Every sun casts a shadow. Yeah, but the sun is the thing doing the casting of the shadow, right? The shadow isn't. Well, let's see what he says. I see. I, a, as powerful as our soul's call to realization, so potent are the forces of resistance arrayed against it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. I get that. But it doesn't mean that resistance is. Shadows don't do anything weird resistance is faster than a speeding bullet more powerful than a locomotive harder to kick than crack cocaine i don't know have you ever tried crack cocaine stephen pressfield <laughs> no i guess you're right though because the resistance is probably the thing keeping them from kicking the crack cocaine in, in this definition right yeah we're not alone back to the book we're not alone if we've been mowed down by resistance, millions of good men and women have bitten the dust before us. And here's the biggest bitch. Ooh, we don't even know what hit us. I never did. From age 24 to 32, resistance kicked my ass from east coast to west and back again 13 times, and I never even knew it existed. I looked everywhere for the enemy and failed to see it right in front of my face. Have you ever heard this story? Woman learns she has cancer, six months to live. Within days, she quits her job, resumes the dream of writing Tex-Mex songs. She gave up to raise a family or start studying classical Greek or moves into the inner city and devotes herself to tending babies with AIDS. Woman's friends think she's crazy. She herself has never been happier. There's a postscript. Woman's cancer goes into remission. I've heard anecdotes like that. Is that what it takes? Do we have to stare death in the face to make us stand up and confront resistance? Does resistance have to cripple and disfigure our lives before we wake up to its existence? Oh, I need to read that one again. Is that what it takes? Do we have to stare death in the face to make us stand up and confront resistance? Unfortunately, quite often, I think that is what it takes. Does resistance have to cripple and disfigure our lives before we wake up to its existence? Quite often, we fall before we learn the tools to stand up from that fall. How many of us has become, have become drunks and drug addicts, developed tumors and neuroses, succumbed to painkillers, gossip, and compulsive cell phone use, simply because we don't do the thing that our hearts, our inner genius, is calling us to. Fuck! You know, so, irregardless of where he comes from on a philosophical background or a religious background, he's not wrong. He's talking to me in this. I feel it, and I think part of it is you know, the test of uh, not agreeing with him from a, a, a fundamental point and yet doing the work to analyze his words on the, the foundation and the merit of the words, not his ideas, right? Resi okay, I'm going to read that line again because it was too good. How many of us have become drunks and drug addicts, developed tumors and neuroses, succumbed to painkillers, gossip, and compulsive cell phone use, simply because we don't do that thing that our hearts, our inner genius, is calling us to? Resistance defeats us. If tomorrow morning, by some stroke of magic, every dazed and benighted soul woke up with the power to take the first step toward pursuing his or her dreams, Every shrink in the directory would be out of business. Prisons would be empty. Prisons would stand empty. Ooh, I don't. Well, no, because sometimes the resistance keep people from doing horrible shit too. 
the alcohol and tobacco industries would collapse. Oh, I bet there'd be a lot less alcohol abuse. Along with the junk food, cosmetic surgery. No, you can't look. Cosmetic surgery isn't a resistance factor. Not always. But I understand his point. The alcohol and tobacco industries would coll- industries would collapse, along with the junk food, cosmetic surgery, and infotainment businesses. Not to mention pharmaceutical companies, hospitals, and the medical profession from top to bottom. No, because people still get sick. Okay, see, I... I I hope he's not trying to say that just pursuing your dreams will mean you never get cancer or bronchitis or break a bone skateboarding because you love to do that. Or, you know, like think of every fucking injury that happens from pursuing your dreams too. I love to woodwork and I've sliced my fingers open. Like, no, the medical industry would just be far less overrun with sad people. That's it. Domestic abuse would become extinct, as would addiction. Oh, oh, Jesus, he's making a big fucking claim here. Domestic abuse would become extinct, as would addiction, obesity, migraine headaches, road rage, and dandruff. Oh! I don't... How the... He better do a... Damn lot of work in this book explaining how the fuck dandruff is directly tied to not following your dreams, to, to, to giving in to resistance and sitting on your cell phone and not creating. How does he mean then because you're not washing your hair as much or you're over, you're less producing in oils? I mean, all of <laughs> obesity now. You fucking see what he's doing here is subtly demonizing people who are overweight. Obesity. He's demonizing that in a way to say that lazy people are fat. Which is simply not true. Is there correlation? Of course. There's correlation to everything. It could be just as much. I mean, is he going to say that don't eat junk food? That's a, that's resistance. I mean, how how I. Oh man. Okay. Look. Oh, here's his next paragraph. Everybody. Look in your own heart. Um, I have a chest, and if he means analyze my thoughts. And try not to lie to myself and be the most honest with myself I can. I, I get it. I, I will do that, Stephen Pressfield. But look in your own heart. I do not want to be fucking cutting my chest open right now, okay? I don't think I'd make it long enough to look at my heart. Ooh, maybe if I was fast or I had like a skill saw or something. Who knows? Unless I'm crazy, right now, a still small voice is piping up, telling you it has 10,000 telling you as it has 10,000 times before that calling that is yours and you, Oh, (sighs) unless I'm crazy right now, a still small voice is piping up telling you as it has 10,000 times before the calling that is yours and yours alone. You know it. No one has to tell you. And unless I'm crazy, You're no closer to taking action on it than you were yesterday or will be tomorrow. You think resistance isn't real? Resistance will bury you. This is so weird. You know, Hitler wanted to be an artist. (laughs) At 18, he took his inheritance, 700 Kronen, and moved to Vienna to study and live. He applied to the Academy of Fine Arts and later the School of Architecture. Ever seen one of his paintings? Neither have I. Resistance beat him. Call it an overstatement, but I'll say it anyway. It was easier for Hitler to start World War II than it was for him to face a blank square of canvas. That is a big, big ask, dude. Oh, okay. Well... That was the, uh, like the preamble of the book. 
that was the first introduction, I would call it. What do I do? What I know, or what I do, what I know, and the unlived life. Next in the book, it starts with book one, resistance, defining the enemy. And that's where we will pick up next time, everybody. I'm going to uh, go back over, read this again, do a little more analyzing on this first little section. And, um, you know, next solo episode, depending on what's going on, I'll probably pick back up at book one. Um, I'm definitely going to go read through this part again. There was some really good stuff in here, but man, he pulls. I know he's being dramatic and he needs to sell the book and this is considered nonfiction. So he has to take some time, but man, to say that standing up to resistance in the way he defines it will stop domestic abuse, addiction, obesity, migraines, road rage, and dandruff. Now, I think I agree about road rage. I bet addiction would change. Migraines? I think that's genetic, man. Are you going to say you can change your genes by by conquering? Look, at, I'm not looking to change my... Here, everybody. I'm not looking to change my genes. I'm not looking to uh, find a cure-all to disease or anything and thinking that this... No, all I want is tools to help fight the things that stand in my way of creating and being the best version of myself, Right. And if I can pick up a couple little things out of this book and also be able to be challenged and have to do real-time work to identify not only what I disagree with, but why, um, it'll be helpful overall. So I hope you guys want to join me on this. I'll be labeling them probably... Um, War of Art, Woe, W-O-A, Woe! <laughs> yeah, okay, uh, I guess that's W-O-A-H, Woe! No, I'll just do W-O-A, Woe, part one, and as many parts as it takes. Um. Yeah, and I hope you guys want to join me on this. At least if not, uh, or if you do and you don't agree, then take it, take what I say, take how I think about it and challenge me on it. If you have your own thoughts and I'm wrong, it's not a come at me, bro. It's do it. Stand up for your thoughts, your own unique thoughts, how they differ from mine. And challenge me on it because you're challenging your own beliefs. As soon as you have to defend them, as soon as you have to go to somebody else who's going to reason with you in a way you're not expecting, that is when you truly know how you believe, how convinced you are of what you believe. And if you're not willing to stand up for your own beliefs, how strongly do you actually hold them? If, if, if you're fine with someone being wrong and not standing up for it, then you either aren't that convinced of your own, you recognize that it's not doing damage, or you don't care enough that other people are wrong. I myself care about what's true. I want to believe as many true things and as few false things as possible. I, my mind strives to accomplish that and I'm constantly checking my beliefs all the time. And I also care because here's the thing. I have to exist in this world with the rest of you. We drive on the roads together. We shop together. We vote together. And if, and if the majority of people are out there believing false things, it's worse for all of us. If people are out there believing true things, well, I'm glad you're on my side and I'm glad you're looking out for the betterment of humanity. But if they believe them for fault, for bad reasons, if they're convinced of a right thing for a bad reason, 
that's still harmful because that means that 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 flawed logic that allows him to be convinced of something for bad reasons will also let bad reasons convince them of other things that may not be true. It matters what we believe, guys. It, it matters how we define, how we exercise our epistemology in a day-to-day life to make sure we're trying to operate as close to the way that reality is. That our expectations of reality are in accordance with reality. And uh, in my reality, I want to get better at uh, being me. Because the better me I am, the the less fuck-offish I live, the more I will be able to help those around me, spread my love, spread care, and in doing that, feel less of an impact on myself, right? Because I already try, but if I had more ability to, to care for my own myself, my own well-being, all of that, with that ability comes then the ability to take and manage my own energy and use it far more far more efficiently to give to other people and that's what i'm trying to do thank you all for listening i do truly love all of you i will be back next week i have a fantastic next week's going to be about meditation everybody I have a meditation teacher slash life coach coming on the podcast, and she is fantastic. And we're going to talk about mindfulness and probably spirituality. Oh, and um, you know, I'm, I'm 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 I practice my mindfulness. I love meditating. Um, a lot of ego work, and she is huge into doing that and talking about that and coaching people and helping them. And I am super stoked to have her on. So that will be next week. I hope you guys are ready for that one. Um, Oh, man. And then the week after that is episode 200. The 200th episode of this podcast. And I have such a fucking special thing planned. You're not even going to believe it. All right, everybody, uh, be, be good to each other out there. Uh, treat others as they would like to be treated and drive like you know each other.